today we are in a Bible teaching series called The Fate of the Wicked. And, and I want to go on record today to tell you that uh, when we look at that subject title, it's not a popular one. God has led me to speak on this subject. And uh, it is a subject that certainly demands our attention. It demands for us uh, to pay attention to the fate of the wicked. Now, if you in your outline, I want you to notice that it is the fate of the wicked. We know that for the believer to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Can I get an amen? And nobody can ever pluck us out of the Father's hand and we know that we will forevermore be with the Lord. Praise God for that. There is a heaven that is waiting on us, those of us that know Jesus as our Savior. I am thankful today that as I stand before you that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. My sins have been forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus and I've invited him in my heart to be my Savior and my Lord, and that is settled forever in my life. To God be the glory, not based off how good I am, but how great our God is, not of works of righteousness, lest we should boast, but by grace have I been saved through faith, and I thank God for the wonderful grace of God that's been extended to everyone who will respond to that grace. We've been talking about this subject matter, the fate of the wicked, led of the Holy Spirit and directed by the Word of God. And so far, uh, we have talked about the subject that wicked people can prosper while they live on this earth. And then we took a, a look at the wicked at the point of death. What's it like to be a wicked person knowing that you're about to die? We talked about that. And then we peeked over into eternity. The wicked, as they draw their last breath and they step over into eternity, we talked about that. And and then last week, we examined the fate of the wicked as they wait in eternity. And the subject matter that we talked about last Sunday was what are they waiting for? What When we think about the wicked going into eternity and they're waiting, we had to ask ourselves the question, what are they waiting for? So as they're there in that place called hell, they're waiting for something that is a dramatic moment in the life of every wicked person. So the question is, what are they waiting for? So today, if you have your Bible... I want you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews as we study under the sermon title today, The Fate of the Wicked, What Said Together on Trial Before the Righteous God. The Fate of the Wicked on Trial Before the Righteous God. Now, I want, while you're turning your Bible to the book of Hebrews, I want to share a couple of things with you about that thought. Have you ever had to wait to meet the judge? If you have, don't raise your hand. But have you ever been sentenced to go to court? Have you ever had your date set that said you're going to appear before the judge? Uh, it, there, there's an astonishing thought when you think about that. Your court date has been set and uh, you're going to appear before the judge. And the judge is there to determine what, how he's going to execute the penalty for the crime that you may have committed. Now, for me personally, uh, if I go to get my tag renewed at the courthouse, I feel guilty when I pull in the parking lot. I mean, it's just one of them weird places I don't like to go. Uh, I can pull into the courtyard parking lot, and I'm going, oh my gosh, I feel like I've done something wrong, and, and it's just in me like that. But 
have you ever had to stand before a judge? Have you ever been sentenced to wait for that moment? Well, when we think about this for just a moment, as we open our Bible to the book of Hebrews, we find that the writer of the, he the book of Hebrews tells us a profound thought. So are you with me today? Say amen. Now, today, before I read that passage of Scripture, I want you to know that we're going to be looking at three places today. We're going to look in Hebrews, we're going to look in the book of John, and we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Revelation today. So let's all take the journey. So let's look there in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 27. The Bible says, and it is appointed unto man, what church? Once to die, but after this, there's going to be a what? judgment. Now, now, how many of y'all believe that? Amen? The Bible says it is appointed. Now, we have to make sure we understand that. That God has given every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl an appointment that they are going to be faced with death. That is, death is coming your way. We realize that death is no respecter of persons. The old people die, the young people die. So we realize then that we don't know when that's going to happen. The Bible says that life is like a vapor. It's like a flower. It blooms for a minute and then it vanishes away. We don't know when our appointment is going to come up, but there has been a sentence that has been passed upon us because of sin, and that sentence is we're going to die. This physical body is going to lay itself down no matter how hard we try to keep it going. There's going to come a time when the physical body is going to be dissolved, and this tabernacle is going to be dissolved, and we're going to, the body is going to lay itself down. The Bible says it is appointed. That means that every one of you that's sitting in the sound of my voice and every one of you that are listening by radio or watching online or those of you at the other campus, every man, woman, boy, and girl, in the sound of my voice, you have an appointment that you must meet. And the Bible says it is appointed for you to die. Now, the Bible goes on and says that after this, there is a judgment. The judgment is going to come. Now, if we want to find out what the judgment is all about, who better? to ask than Jesus himself. For the word of God gives us an understanding of judgment in the book of John. So open your Bible to the book of John. We find that God incarnate, Jesus himself, declares the answer for the subject on the judgment. You'll notice in verse number 25 of the book of John, uh, chapter 5, verse number 25, he starts off by using two profound words. He says what? Say those two words with me, everybody. Verily, verily. Now, what in the world does that mean? When Jesus uses the term verily, it means that you ought to pay attention. When he uses it twice, it means don't let anything distract you from what he's about to tell you. In other words, what you ought to do at this moment, you ought to clear your mind, you ought to clear all your thoughts, you ought to set up straight in your pew, you ought to pay close attention because what Jesus is about to tell you is so important that he doesn't want you to miss that. The Bible says, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and what now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Now what he's saying is this, there has been a prophetic utterance that has been let that has been known to you that there is coming a day when the dead is going to experience the resurrection and he says that day is coming and now it is that Jesus has showed up when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and when they hear the 
voice of the Son of God, they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have eternal life or life in himself. And has given him, what say that word, authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which, say it with me, all, underline that in your Bible, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. How many people will hear his voice, everybody? All of us. Everybody that's in the grave is going to hear the voice of God. Is going to hear the voice of Jesus. And the Bible says in verse number 29, if you'll notice there, and when they hear that voice, some shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now when you examine the scripture that Jesus gives you there, you begin to realize that the Bible says that everybody that has been put in the grave, whether they be good or bad, whether they be righteous or unrighteous, there is coming a day when they all will hear the voice of Jesus. And the Bible says that some of those will be resurrected to the resurrection of life and others will be resurrected to the resurrection of damnation. Now listen carefully today. Are you with me? Say amen. We're living in a world today to where people actually think, I don't have to answer to anybody. I can do my own thing, live my own life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to answer anybody. My friend, you could never be so tragically wrong. You will answer to somebody. There will come a time when the vilest of sinners will tremble and cringe at the horror of their destined future. I beg of you today, if you've never listened to anything I've got to say to you today, you need to listen today. The story has been told of C.S. Lewis listening to a young preacher's sermon on the subject of God's judgment on sin. This young preacher was preaching and C.S. Lewis was listening. At the end of his message, the young preacher said, if you do not receive Christ as your Savior, you will suffer grave eschatological ramifications. The young preacher said, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there will come a time when you will suffer grave eschatological ramifications. After the service, C.S. Lewis asked him, Young man, did you mean any person who doesn't receive Christ will die and go to hell? He said, that's exactly what I said. C.S. Lewis looked at him and said, stop beating around the bush. Stop beating around the bush. If you meant that, why didn't you just say that people that don't know Jesus will die and go to hell? Why did you use such terminology that people cannot even comprehend? Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you today that across our great land, too many people are beating around the bush. Too many people are beating around the bush. Your souls are vitally important. What you hear from these great pulpits are going to be messages that will frame your eternal destination. Ladies and gentlemen in America today, we don't have time to beat around the bush. We don't have time to play games. We don't have time to give soft messages. If there's ever been a time in our great 
great land that the pulpits of America need to blaze the eternal truth of God. It is the day and hour in which we live today. Ladies and gentlemen, we are standing at the very edge of eternity and your souls are standing in the balance. It's important, it's high time that somebody stand behind the sacred desk of God and boldly proclaim those that don't know Jesus will surely die and go to hell. Can I get an amen? The stillness of the moment is powerfully penetrating as the lost dead are required to stand at the great white throne. You remember that earlier we understand that Jesus is going to come and get his church. Now remember what I'm about to tell you. Everybody will stand at the judgment of God. The believers will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Now remember what I'm telling you. The judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment of damnation, but a judgment of life. When believers stand at the judgment seat of Christ, which is known as the Bema seat, you will stand there not to be judged because of your sins. Your sins have already been judged on an old rugged cross there where Jesus died. But when you stand before Jesus as a believer, you will not stand there to be judged because of your sins. You will be standing there to receive your rewards of the things that you've done in your flesh. In other words, you will receive the crowns that is due to you in eternity. Thank God that one day every child of God will stand before the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is the bridegroom. He is the one that gave his life for us and we will stand there before God, not in our own righteousness, but our righteousness that have been clothed in us in Jesus Christ. And he will call you one by one by name to come to the Bema seat and hand you your rewards. But ladies and gentlemen, there is another judgment that is coming and that is the judgment for every unbeliever. For every unbeliever, they will stand at what's known as the great white throne judgment. Now are you listening? Say amen. Not one believer will be at the great white throne judgment, only unbelievers. So we realize then that everybody will stand and as we think about this, listen to me closely. Millions and millions of God rejectors, millions upon millions of blasphemers and liars and adulterers and thieves and drunks and drug users, loud and arrogant and boastful and prideful, full of cursing and full of self, people from all nations and walks of life will stand before God. As they stand, they stand and behold, right before their eyes, they will see the God of heaven. And now they know, they can feel it in their guts, it's judgment day. And they're at the place of judgment. So today... Let's think about point number one, the place of judgment. Open your Bible to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, John is on the Isle of Patmos. God is giving him revelation of things to come. You'll open your Bible to the book of Revelation and begin in chapter 1 and you will see that God inspires us that we are to read and understand the words that are in this book, the book of Revelation. The Bible says, blessed is he that reads and understands the things that are in this book. 
We find in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4 of that great book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, the word revelation itself means to unveil. That is for God to take the cover off something so that you could see what is yet to come. The book of Revelation, we begin to realize that in chapter 1 through chapter 4, we see the church being raptured up to heaven with, with Jesus. And there we understand chapter 1 through chapter 4, the, the lamb uh, has, has been able to collect the, the bride and we see the, the church going home. Chapter 5 begins that awful time called the tribulation period. The tribulation period, the seals, the judgments, the vile are poured out upon man upon this earth. We find that as we journey on through the book of Revelation that we get to chapter 20. Now the, the millennial reign of Christ has, been, has already been expired. The devil has been sentenced to the lake of fire, the devil and his demons. Now we open Revelation Revelation chapter 20 and we find that there is a place of judgment. So if you'll notice there in Revelation chapter 20 verse number 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Read verse the last part of that with me everybody. And there was found no place for them. Underline that in your Bible. In other words, there was people there at this judgment. Now when we think about that, we have to understand that there's two things about this place of judgment. First of all, we understand that at this place of judgment, there was a great throne. Can you imagine that? The great throne. We looked at it together as we begin to open the word of God. We find the Bible says, oh, there's this great throne. My mind cannot even begin to comprehend the significance of that moment as billions upon billions of lost people are gathered together and they're going to stand before this great throne. I cannot even begin to put my mind around the significance of that, that, that term that as you look there together, there was a great white throne. I can't even imagine this, this throne that we're talking about all the thrones of this earth begin to pale in comparison to the might of this great throne. For, for who sits upon this throne has the, has the authority not only of a jurisdiction upon this earth, but whoever sits on this throne has a jurisdiction of all of eternity. Not just a jurisdiction of a demographic, of a county, or a state, or a nation, or even a world, but he has the jurisdiction of all of eternity. Now we understand the significance of the word great. The word great is almost incomprehensible when we begin to think about it. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's one thing to stand before a judge in your county. It's another thing to stand before a judge of a Supreme Court. But it's far more important to stand before the judge of this universe. It's a great throne. But notice here, it's not only just a great throne, it is a great what? Say it with me. White throne. White throne. If you'll just circle the word white in that little, little, little statement there, white represents purity. White represents righteousness. White represents the pure and the righteous nature of the one that's going to sit upon that throne, the holiness of that one. Can you imagine that for just a moment? Just go with me in your mind. Here's this great white throne. This great white throne has been established, and I want you to think about this again. Are you listening? 
This white throne represents the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of God, the purity and the, and the beauty of who our God is. There's nothing in this throne that would represent anything evil. It's all pure. Can you imagine? Go with me there for a moment. Can you imagine as a sinner, those that have never accepted Christ as your Savior? You're there before this great white throne. You're standing there in your filth and your dirt and your sin and the grime of life and the, the pollution of your decisions, the, the, the ugliness of your sin. And there you are, there you are standing before purity. Now, now the contrast of that is pretty significant. When you look at the contrast of the moment, it's a judgment, it's a great throne, it's a great white throne, and everybody that's sentenced there are filthy, dirty, vile sinners. The contrast is significant. Pure and holy and righteous. Sinful, dirty, and unrighteous. The contrast is almost, it's almost painful to think about. So we realize then that the fate of the wicked on trial before a righteous God, there's going to be a great throne, there's going to be a great white throne. But let's look on a little further. Who's going to be the judge? Who's going to be the judge at this great white throne? Who's going to be the one that's going to occupy the rightful place of executing judgment? Who has the authority to do that? We realize that according to the word of God, there's only one person that has the authority and the right to occupy that throne. Would you like to guess who his name is? The judge is Jesus Christ. The judge is Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness that, that by that man whom he ordained, who is that man, of whom he has given assurance unto all men who this man is going to be, he is the one that's been raised from the dead. You know who that was? Jesus the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by who? Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Did you know that God's going to judge every thought you've ever had? Every secret that you've ever tried to hide. God will judge the secrets and the thoughts of all men. How's he going to do that? By the one whom he's appointed. Who has he appointed? Jesus Christ. He's the one that occupies the seat of the throne. And then we realize that every lost person will be required to look and see his face. Every person who doesn't know Jesus will be required to see the face of the one that's going to judge them. Now when you think about that for just a moment, you begin to realize and understand that the book of Isaiah speaks about the face of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we have been healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We everyone have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Think about that for a moment. When they lost, last saw the face of Jesus, are you listening? His face was battered and bruised. They spit in his face. They slapped his face. They beat his face. His face was a bloody, beaten pop of a mess. There as he hung upon that cross, his face didn't even resemble a man. He was beaten so bad. The Bible says they mocked him. They laughed at him. They said, if you be the son of God, why don't you come down from that cross? But you remember the last time that they looked on his face, he was a beaten, slaughtered lamb of a sacrifice. But oh, listen to me. There is coming a day when lost people will stand before that very one as he is the judge at that judgment. He will not look like a beaten lamb that was slain. He will have the face of a roaring lion, mighty with fire in his eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ, according to the next verse, it says, and I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on that throne, are you listening? The, his face, the earth, and the heaven fled away because of his face. Can you imagine that for a moment? Being a lost person. Don't know Jesus as your savior. You have saw pictures of him dying on the cross for you. You've heard sermons about him being beaten and bruised for you. You've heard how they put a crown of thorns on his head. You've heard how the thorns were pressed down into his skull. You've heard how he suffered for you. But on that day, my friend, he will not have a crown of thorns. He will have a royal diadem. And he will sit on that throne as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who he is. Can you imagine standing before this judge? This judge? Now let's think about the time of this judgment. Let's think about a moment for this judgment. When is this judgment going to happen? When is it going to take place? Now we know the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11... The Bible says that I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now I want you to think about this. Look at me. Look at me. The people that are standing at this judgment don't belong in heaven. Heaven's not the place for them. They, 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 don't, they don't go to heaven. 
And the Bible says that something is going to happen. Are you listening? While they're standing there, you can almost feel the intensity of the moment as God summons them to come, and they're going to be standing there. And the Bible says that, that all unbelievers are going to be forced to stand before this great white throne and this judge. Listen to me and watch me. In a millisecond, heaven and earth will pass away. Did you know there's coming a time when the earth as we know it will be no more? The Bible says that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible tells us that this earth that we're on will melt with fervent heat. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Remember, God has promised a new heaven and a new earth. Picture this scene. There stands all the unbelievers who have ever lived. Billions upon billions of unbelievers stand upon the great sea of glass before the throne of God. Then all of a sudden, this massive explosion happens. Both heaven and earth is destroyed by God. Imagine the shock to the unbelievers as they stand before God. The idea is that they will witness, are you listening, the destruction of their world. The Bible says there was found no place for them. They don't belong in heaven and they don't have an earth anymore. Imagine this. They've lived for this world and this world only. That's all they do. They don't have time to go to church. All they want to do is play games. They want to stay at home, stay away from God, make a lot of money. They, they want to build a lot of houses and acquire a lot of land. They want to get positions and power and fame and popularity and do drugs and have sex and drink alcohol and eat and drink and be merry and have pleasures of this world and positions. And look at me, in a millisecond, it'll all be gone. Everything they lived for will disappear. No earth. No earth. All of your earthly possessions are gone. Don't you think that Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says, whatever you do, don't lay yourselves up treasures on this earth. Because if you lay treasures on this earth, moths are going to eat it and thieves are going to steal it and rust is going to deteriorate it. And what Jesus said is, whatever you do, lay your treasures in heaven. Because when you lay your treasures in heaven, rust doesn't corrupt it, and moths don't eat it, and thieves don't steal it. But can you imagine with me, some of you here today, some of you that are listening, all you do is live for this world. Your, your, your heart is connected to this world. You may even be in church today, and maybe you're just... Here because somebody said you have to go. Maybe you're not taking God seriously at all. Maybe it's all a game to you, my friend. But one day, my friend, you will stand before a great white throne. And everything you have lived for will disappear. It'll go away. Right before your eyes, gone in a moment. 
And I want you to notice who is the persons that's going to be at this judgment. Who are they? Who are these people? You say, Brother Jackie, I'm not going to be there. I don't matter to God. Oh, my friend, you are so wrong. The Bible says, and I saw the dead. How, what kind were they? Who were they? Somebody tell me. Small and great stand before God and the books were open. Now let's think about this for a minute. Who are the persons that's going to be judged at this great white throne judgment? Notice the term in Revelation 20 and verse 12. Small and great. You know what that means? It means ordinary people. Ordinary women. But it also means great men and great women. When we look at our world today, <clears throat> we, we could put it in this kind of category for a moment. If you look at Hitler, he'll be there. If he doesn't know, didn't know Jesus, he'll be resurrected and stand there. All the great men that may have even had influence in this world that don't know Jesus will be there. All the rock and roll stars that make fun of Jesus and sing all kinds of songs that blaspheme the name of our Savior. Even though they may be popular in your world, one day they will stand before God. All the great politicians that don't know Jesus will be there. The Bible says... I saw the small and the great. What does it mean, pastor? It means that those people who had authority on this earth, even though they may have had influence on this earth, one day they will crumble before the God that sits on that throne. It also means the people that have nothing, the people that are in the gutters, the people that are in the ditches, the people that struggle to pay their bills, the people that have nothing, if they don't know Jesus, they'll be there. Now, there's two things to write down about this. First of all, you need to remember this. <clears throat> this judgment is for all those who reject Jesus, not for believers. There won't be one believer there. This judgment is for all those who reject, who have rejected Jesus Christ. Is that you? Have you been playing games with God? Have you rejected the Lord? Your life could go away just like that. And if, you go, if your life goes away like this without Jesus, you'll be there. This judgment is for all those who have rejected Jesus Christ, not for believers. Not one person who appears at this judgment will ever go to heaven. Not one person who appears at this judgment will go to heaven. When you stand at the great white throne, it's not a place that you stand to debate whether or not you make it to heaven. Anybody who stands at this judgment is sentenced to hell not to heaven. Now the Bible tells us that there is a basis for this judgment. And the basis is a, is a profound thought. Our God is a great God. He's a fair God. The Bible tells us the basis of this judgment is based off two books. 
And if you'll notice in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before God, and the books were open. Now notice the books, that's plural, means two. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So we look here together, we realize that the basis of this judgment is based off two books that's going to be opened. The first one is called the book of life. The names of all people who have ever been born will be in this book. But the names of those that don't know Jesus, are you listening, will be blotted out of that book. This will leave only the names of the saved ones. And this will make the book identical with the Lamb's book of life in Revelation 3, 5. Christ promises that the believer's name will never be blotted out of the book of life. This indicates that some names will be blotted out. Since the names of those that know Jesus cannot be blotted out, at the great white throne, the judge will look for the names of the unsaved in the book of life. And since their names will not be there, this will be another confirmation of a righteous judgment. At the great white throne, some men will probably make their plea. They will say things like this, God, we did this and we did that. We gave our money and we performed many good deeds. Then the judge will look into the book. And as he opens this book, the book of life, he will say to them, your name is not in this book. Your name is not here. I don't see your name in this book. And some will say, but, but, but God, my mother was a Christian. But God, my grandmother was a Christian. But God, I went to church on Sunday. I, I was there. And he will say, but your name's not here. And then he's going to open another book. It's called the Book of Records. Just to make sure that the judgment is fair, he's going to open the other book. And the Book of Records is the recorded deeds and thoughts of the unsaved people. And he's going to say, well, let's see, let's see this. And the Bible tells us about this book of records there. It says that he's going to open this book and he's going to look at this book according to the, your works. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. The Bible says that he is recording every thought you have. Everything you've ever done, God keeps a record of it. Every word you say, God keeps a record of it. And he's going to open the books of your works. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine saying, but God, I, I went to church one Sunday, but what about all those days you didn't? Well, God, I, I gave a lot of money, but what about all those people you cheated? Well, well, God, I, 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 I tried to encourage people, but what about all those lies you told? But God, I, I tried to live a good life, but what about all those thoughts you were thinking? You know what he's going to say? 
your good works don't add up to my righteousness because there's none righteous, no, not one. Watch this. You get a failing grade. Everything you've ever done is washed out by all the things, all the wrong things you did. All the good thoughts that you had was washed out by all the bad thoughts you had. In other words, the names of every person who ever lived, the record of every deed, every thought, and every action is recorded. God's recording what we're doing right now. God's recording how you, what you're thinking about. God's recording how you act in church. God's recording how, what kind of heart you've got. God's recording everything that we do. As an unbeliever, everything that you do or have ever done is open and naked before God. But for the believer, all of our sins are covered by his blood. And our sins are never thought of again. But if you don't know Jesus, those sins are still bare and open before the eyes of a holy God. And you'll stand before him. And then there's this resurrection to judgment. You said, now, Brother Jack, I understand all that, but what about this resurrection? Well, it's a serious thought. Remember, Jesus said there's a resurrection to life and there's a resurrection to death. There's a resurrection for life and there's a resurrection for damnation. Oh, listen to me, my friend. Death, death doesn't get you out of it. Death puts you in it. You see, the resurrection of judgment is, sum, is summarized in verse 13. Revelation 20 verse 13 says, The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. The Bible says the sea... Gives up the dead. Did you know people say, well, now, Brother Jackie, wait a minute. Uh, you know, we, we get this fact that, that one day we may die and they're going to put us in a grave, but what about those that died in the sea? What about those the sharks ate? What about all this? Listen to me. Look at me. God knows wherever particle of your body is. God knows wherever atom, every particle of your body is, and there's coming a day when God will speak and every bit of you will come back together. Everybody who's ever died in the sea, the Bible says that the sea will give up the dead. The Bible says they, that, that the dead, which were in, and death and hell will deliver up all the dead. When you notice there in that particular passage of Scripture, hell is translated in the, author, in the authorized version as the grave. The bodies of dead unbelievers who are in the earth or scattered over the earth shall be resurrected. God knows wherever atom, every particle of dust is, every element that makes up every unbeliever's body, God knows where that is. When he calls forth all the unbelievers to stand before him in judgment, all the bodies of the dead unbelievers that lie all over the dry land of the earth will come forth. They'll come out of the great pyramids of Egypt. 
They will come out of the jungles of Africa. They will come out of the rainforests of Brazil. They will come out of the desert sands of Arabia. They will, they will come out of the burial grounds of the Indians and the battlefields of the wars, the alleys and the secret places of murder and the graves all over America. Their bodies will come out. And the Bible says that they're going to come out and they're going to be judged. Every one of them. Now listen to me for a minute. What about the terroring punishment of this judgment? The terrorizing punishment of the judgment. What in the world does that mean? There's going to be two things that's going to happen to them in this terrorizing punishment of the judgment. First of all, they will be sentenced to what's known as the second death. It's the second death. And what does that mean, the second death? It means to be eternally separated from God. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. But notice this, we begin to realize that in this particular passage of Scripture, we find that death and hell are cast in the lake of fire, and the Bible definitely tells you what is the second death. It's when you're cast into that lake of fire, separated from God forever. Now, there's two things. Just write this down. You've got to remember, this is not a jail sentence. People think... Oh, I tell you what, I'm going to stand before God and he's going to give me 10 years without probation. No, friend. This is not a jail sentence. People go, well, you know what, what if I get life in prison, maybe I'll get parole. Oh, no, my friend. This is not a jail sentence. This is not annihilation. You don't stop existing. You're going to be sentenced to that place forever and ever and ever and ever, world without end. Never a chance to get out. It's not a jail sentence. It's not annihilation. Well, what are they sentenced to? They're sentenced to the unquenchable lake of fire. Now, in the world today, people go, now, wait a minute, Brother Jack, I, didn't, I don't want to sign up to hear about all this. Let me tell you something, friend. That's what's wrong with people today. Nobody's preaching it, therefore nobody believes it. The Bible tells us that they will be sentenced to an unquenchable lake of fire. Revelation 20 verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. If your name is not in that book of life, that's your sentence. That's where you will go, to the lake of fire. And the smoke of torment, according to the book of Revelation, will ascend up forever and ever, and you will have no rest day or night. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a place where there's no rest day or night? Now, that's a heavy. And I get that's a heavy. I'd much rather be talking about how good we are. But if God can change one of your lives today, it will be worth the rest of us listening to this. In the first service gave an invitation. People came down. People came down and said, you know what? I want to go to this altar. I want to give my life to the Lord. This is serious business. You may say, Brother Jack, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to acknowledge Jesus. I'm never going to bow down to him. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. Because be, before you're sentenced to the lake of fire, he will say, oh, there's one more thing. Before you go, bow your knee. You bow your knee, and you're going to say it. You're going to bow your knee, and you're going to say this. Wherefore, God has given him a name. He's highly exalted him. And he's given him a name, which is above every name. At the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow. In heaven and in earth and things under the earth. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You say, Brother Jack, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you are. You're going to do it. I'm too, I'm too tough to do that. Oh, big boy, you're not that tough. I'm too bad to do that. No, you're not too bad. I've gone too far. No, you haven't. Now look at me and listen to me. You can bow your knee now and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you'd be saved. But if you reject doing that, there will come a time when you'll stand before God as a wicked person and you will bow and you will confess you will say Jesus you are a name above all names and you are you are Lord but if you wait till then it's too late it's too late as a matter of fact, I wouldn't take a chance on it. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to say it boldly. I've been a pastor 36 years. I've seen people come into church and go. I've seen people walk down the aisle of a church crying their eyes out, saying, God, get me out of this mess. And I've seen those same people a little bit later down the road back where they were. And I've asked myself, did they truly come to know Jesus?
Look at me. It's not about putting your name on the roll of a church. Even though every believer ought to have their name on a roll of a church and you ought to be faithfully attending. But it's about sincerely giving your life to Jesus. And I believe that in churches across America, that in a lot of cases, there are more social clubs than there are spiritual transformations going on. If you die without a sincere con connection to Jesus, it don't matter how many praise and worship songs you sung. It don't matter how many lights you had in a sanctuary. It don't matter how much fog come out of a fog machine. It don't matter whether they sang Amazing Grace and you didn't like it and they sang some other type and you did like it. All that's irrelevant. Look at me. You need to be 100% sure that if you were to die, that you know Jesus as your Savior. You need to quit playing church games. We're living in a world today where people all over America are playing church games. Stop it. Stop playing church games. That's not what this is about. What it's about is your eternity. What it's about is an authentic relationship with Jesus that changes your eternity. You say, Brother Jackie, how can I do that? Well, the bottom line tells you what to do. How can you escape appearing before the great white throne? I'm going to tell you how to do it. And then it's up to you what you do. The only way I know how to tell you is what God tells you. And the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you will believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, did you hear that? It's not about what's going on up here. I think a lot of people have made an emotional decision about Jesus. But you know what? If you just make a decision up here, the devil can change your mind. What God wants is you to make a decision right here. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Watch this. Beautiful scripture. Whosoever, small or great, rich or poor, black or white, red or yellow, Chinese, Japanese, doesn't matter, American, Hispanic, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, he will save them. All you got to do, all you have to do is open your heart and ask Jesus to come in. I'm going to ask you to do that today. There's a lot of churches that say, oh, we don't give no invitation. We might embarrass somebody. I got a Greek word for that. Hogwash. Every person Jesus called in the Bible, we called them publicly. If Jesus Christ 
will walk up Calvary's mountain for you and die on a cross for you publicly. Why won't you walk down a church aisle and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus publicly? Because if you're ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of you before his Father, which is in heaven. I'm going to say something today in closing. I sense that there's somebody here that's had a religious experience in a church, but you're not truly born again. Don't stake your eternal life off a religious experience in a church. Give your heart to Jesus today. So I'm going to invite ministers to come down. Now, they're not here to, to save you. They can't save you. But they can pray with you. And they're going to come, and they're going to stand at the front of this church. And I'm going to invite you to come, just like we did in the first service, people from the balcony, people all over, to come to this altar and make a decision for Jesus today. And maybe you're here and you want to make this your church home. We'd love for that to happen. So today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to be sure, I want you to come to this altar. They're going to help you. Or if you want to join the church, this is the place to come. Or maybe you want to come and just pray for your son or your daughter, your mama, your daddy, your friend. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing and they're going to help you. And if you want to come, you come right now. Come on to this altar and let's make decisions for Jesus. Will you come?